Welcome to the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Well, we're back with another edition of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. Welcome to the show. I'm John Murphy, here to talk about the Bills and the beer. And the beer, of course, the product of Sullivan's Brewery in Ireland, imported to the U.S., the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Sullivan's, the sponsor of our podcast. A little bit later, we're going to talk about beer with our special guest, Vince Becker of Savannah, Georgia. He works for Habersham Beverage Warehouse in Savannah, a retailer. Vince runs their beer operation. You know, He knows a lot about Sullivan's and a lot of other beer, too. He is a Cicerone which means he's a certified beer expert. He's taken and passed their test to get that certification. And he's a home brewer. We're going to talk with him about that as well. Vince Becker coming up a little bit later on. But before we get to the beer, we have to talk about the Bills, the Buffalo Bills, now in their bye week, deep into the season, 10 games in. The Bills coming off a stunning loss in Arizona to the Cardinals last Sunday, 32-30 the final, a last-second Hail Mary by Cardinals second-year quarterback Kyler Murray providing the margin just 30 seconds after Josh Allen appeared to win it with a 21-yard touchdown pass to uh, Stefan Diggs, a fantastic finish to a high-scoring game, the Bills' first loss after three straight wins. So now the Bills are at the bye week, seven wins, three losses. Figured this is a good time to take stock of where the Bills are and where they are headed as they hit the home stretch in a couple of weeks, only six regular season games to go. You know, we've learned a lot about the 2020 Bills already. We've learned they're good. They are resourceful more than anything. They usually find a way to win. They've done it seven out of ten times this year. They can be spectacular, and they can be maddening. They're on pace to win 11 games this year, which should easily qualify for the postseason, no matter how many teams get in, and they should win the AFC East with 11 wins. But under the topic of spectacular from last Sunday, the 21-yard touchdown pass from Allen to Diggs with 34 seconds left appeared to be the game winner, but it was not. This is where resourcefulness comes in. The Bills let a 14-point lead slip away in this game. They needed to come back. Josh Allen had thrown two costly interceptions already. The offensive line was having trouble protecting Allen and opening up holes for the running game, and the running game has little to offer, and yet they found a way to take the lead in the final minute resourceful. They are resourceful. They are resilient, even when they're not playing well. They believe they could still do it. It may be the best characteristic of the 2020 Buffalo Bills, and I think it comes right from their head coach. This team solves problems. They don't look for excuses. They solve problems. They've got some problems to solve in the final six games now, if they can. Strikes me that the 2020 Bills, two-thirds of the way through their season, are not an especially physical team. They lack physicality. And it shows on both the offensive line and the defensive line. They've really only had one game where the offensive line physically handled their opponents, New England, when the Bills ran for 190 yards. And that was against a Patriots team that played six and seven defensive backs much of the day. Bills are fourth from the bottom of the NFL when it comes to rushing yards per game. Not a good place to be with colder, harsher weather coming. Yes, they have not had their top five offensive linemen in the same game yet this year. Maybe they will. Maybe they will next game. But the lack of physicality up front, I think, is a big issue for the Buffalo offense. Same for the defensive line. They're undersized. They're underwhelming when it comes to physical play. Cardinals ran for more than 200 yards. Bill's opponents go for 4.8 yards per carry. They're the fourth worst in the league in that department. They get beaten at the line of scrimmage way too often. These are tough problems to fix 10 games into the year. Maybe unfixable. 
Buffalo has found a way to win with its finesse game. It's mostly passing offense to win seven of 10 games played already. That's good. May not be championship good. We'll find out. We're going to talk more about the Bills in a moment with the guy who called the game this past Sunday on the Arizona Cardinals radio network, Western New York native Ron Wolfley. He grew up here in Orchard Park, drafted by the Cardinals in the fourth round, made four Pro Bowls as a special teamer. He is a great guy, a funny guy, a great broadcaster. He hosts a morning sports talk show in Phoenix. He's a former restaurant owner as well. Ron Wolfley, color man for the Arizona Cardinals radio network, is coming up next. It's already considered an instant classic, the end of the game last Sunday when Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray hit his receiver downfield 43 yards, DeAndre Hopkins with an amazing catch, one second on the clock, actually two when they reset it. But that won the game for the Cardinals, an amazing play, one that Bills fans will never forget. Here's what it sounded like on the Arizona Cardinals radio network with Dave Pash and Ron Wolfley. Hopkins to the left, three receivers to the right. Cardinals trail by four. They're out of timeouts, 11 seconds left in the game. First down at the Buffalo 43. Now the Bills drop two men back 25 yards downfield. Murray back to throw, flushed out, rolling left in trouble, slips a tackle, got to launch it. He does. Left side, into the end zone, jump ball, and it is. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh, my goodness, it's caught. DeAndre Hopkins caught it. He caught it for a touchdown with one second left. I can't believe it. You've got to be joking me. Hopkins reaches up with three defenders around him and pulls it in, and the Cardinals lead it 32-30 to with a second left. You can't cover Duke. You're not going to be able to cover him. Throw the ball up. That's what Kyler Murray did. He extended the play with his legs and just chucked that thing up into the air. Into the desert sky, baby. And D-Hop brought it down. Touchdown. Ron Wolfley, the color man on the Arizona Cardinals radio network. You just heard him call that play from yesterday, the end of the game, the touchdown pass, that 43-yard touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins. Ron, good to be with you. Uh, It's really good to be with you. Your co-host of Doug and Wolf on 98.7 Arizona Sports, a Western New York native from right here in Orchard Park. What, what did you call Hopkins Nuke? Is that your nickname for him, Nuke? Well, actually, it's not my nickname. It's actually his new, uh, nickname. He's had it, John, for a long, long time. N-U-K. And I guess it's after the Nookie, right? The Nook, like a kid's Nookie or something like that. He, okay. That was his nickname, I think, growing up. Nuke is what it morphed into. A spectacular finish uh, to that game. You know, I, I heard uh, some of your comments from your morning radio show on 98.7 Arizona Sports, and you said, and you're right. Most of the time, Hail Marys don't work. And it, we worked in spectacular fashion yesterday. Yeah, it really was incredible. You know, um, just looking at the tape once again, it's interesting because it wasn't a Hail Mary. It was a situation where they isolated DeAndre Hopkins on the backside of a play. They were actually trying to run a play with the possibility of hitting somebody who was coming across the middle and then would have maybe just run right out of bounds, hopefully. Before, of course, uh, time had expired, but 11 seconds on the clock. Now they put DeAndre Hopkins on the backside, and then you saw the pressure that Kyler Murray got. What happened was he escaped. He actually made a nice move on Mario Addison, as a matter of fact, I believe. Got the corner, and then falling back, as you saw it, he chucked the ball up in the air because D-Hop was by himself 
And when I say that, I mean as the sole receiver by himself on the, the left side of the field. And of course, there were three bills around him. It wasn't a Hail Mary. It was a Hail Murray, if you will. <laughs> Throw it yeah. up to DeAndre Hopkins and see if Nuke could go get it. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, um, as great a catch as it was by Hopkins, I, I, give, uh, I give Kyler Murray almost as much credit to, to extend that play, to get free, to, make that, to set his feet and make that throw down field. Murph, that's exactly how I felt. As a matter of fact, on my radio show this morning, that was the big debate. It was the big debate. What was more impressive? You know how it is. It's either got to be this or that. It can't be both, right, Murph? It can't be both. It's got to be either this or that. What was the more impressive thing, the throw by Kyler Murray or the catch by DeAndre Hopkins? And I got to tell you, from a difficulty perspective, both of those guys it was just an incredible play, right? Players win games. They make plays and players win games. But boy, Kyler Murray, to do what he did to avoid the rush, get out of the pocket, avoid Bills, and then suddenly set his feet and chuck the ball down across his body like that. I, I just honestly, two great players that made a play and you know what? Won a game. It was tremendous. Um, on Murray, I mean, he's got quickness like nobody else in the league. I wonder how good do you think he can be, Kyler Murray, with his quickness and all his other talent? How good can he get? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'd love to get your perspective on this as well. But, Murph, I think the quarterback position is changing in the National Football League. I think it is going to be a prerequisite from this point forward that we're going to have to be a guy that can do it both. You're going to have to be a guy that can pull it down and run. I look at Josh Allen. I look at Josh Allen, and I, and I see a guy that is one of the most athletic quarterbacks I have seen. In particular, Murph, I would say in the pocket, watching him, you know, so much of the time everyone makes – deal about mobility outside the pocket and making plays and Kyler Murray is certainly a guy that runs a legitimate 4-3 this is a guy that can make all sorts of plays a la Michael Vick out of the pocket of course but he's a much more accurate thrower of the football he has better arm talent than Michael Vick I think ever dreamed of having and I'm a big Michael Vick fan love Michael Vick but I look at Josh Allen he's a, here's a guy that I mean he's big and yet he moves so well and he's on his toes in the pocket moving around that pocket I'm so impressed with that but I think that Kyler Murray and quarterbacks like him now with the advent of the shotgun and the pistol and never really putting a quarterback under center anymore yeah. um, we're going to start to see guys that are 5'10 guys that are 5'11 that can actually play. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the quarterback position, the dual threat quarterback position institutionalized from organization to organization. In other words, backups actually being the same type of player that can come in and run the same kind of offenses. I love it. I don't know about you, Murph, but I love the blending of the two. I love the fact that there's the old and the new that is coming into the National Football League. And I'd love to see the two morph together and be an expansion of the football universe as opposed to the college game, which is a contraction of the football universe as far as I'm concerned.
Ron, it's almost as if you've been reading my notes from the broadcast yesterday because I talked I talk to Tasker about this, and I'll tell you this. I think the Arizona Cardinals are on the cutting edge of kind of a new offensive revolution in the NFL, thanks in most part to Kyler Murray, but Cliff Kingsbury, too. He does a lot. Um, he does a lot with that quarterback. I mean, they're calling plays on the sideline. Everybody's turning to the sideline like they do in college now. I give Kingsbury a lot of credit. Yeah, no, Cliff Kingsbury is a genius, in my opinion, when it comes to offensive football, right? He's still got a lot of learning to do, I think, and a lot of filling out to do as a head coach. I love his humility. I'll tell you, listen, smart and humble, Murph, is a great way to go through life. Smart <laughs> and humble. It's just I don't know anything great... about either one of those. <laughs> <laughs> you know the wedge buster's not going to answer that question, that's for sure. But I can tell you that that's what Cliff Kingsbury is. He's really, really smart, and he's really humble. He's always a guy that steps forward and says, hey, listen, that was my bad. I've got a lot of developing to do, and I think he recognizes that. But I also, I have to say this, Man, Murph, I give a ton of credit to Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell, okay, the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, and Steve Kime, the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals. Think about what they did. They had a head coach in Steve Wilkes, and they had Josh Rosen as their quarterback. Now, Josh Rosen, by all accounts, even though the Cardinals moved up to get him at number 10, hey, listen, that most people – just saluted the Cardinals for making that bold move to go up and get a guy who was going to be a franchise quarterback. After a year, they moved off that. Murph, how often does that happen? Yeah. Ask yourself, how often do you see that happen in the NFL? The answer is you don't. You don't see it happen in the NFL. And Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, stuck with Steve Kime through it. Steve Kime is famous for saying, I didn't want to look at the tape, Kyler Murray. I didn't want to look at the tape. And he didn't look at the tape, Murph, because he was going to fall in love with the kid. And if he fell in love with the he had the first pick overall. He was going to do something that he knew no general manager does and still keeps his job admitting he made a mistake on a franchise quarterback after one year and now all of a sudden drafting another one. A paradigm shift, if ever, if ever there was, and I give a lot of credit to Steve Kime, Michael Bidwell, and Cliff Kingsbury for that. One more thing about Kingsbury that you haven't mentioned yet. He's probably, we saw it during the draft, he's probably got the nicest house to, of any coach in the NFL, huh? <laughs> His house is so unbelievable. In, in a city called Paradise Valley. <laughs> Paradise <laughs> Valley. I mean, that's where his house is. Absolutely. I, I, I laughed out loud when I saw it. You know, it broke the internet. That's what everybody said, right? Yeah. It's just, it's a different way of life. There's no doubt about it, Murph. Hey, Ryan, what did you think of the Bills yesterday? And what did you think of them coming back uh, with what looked like the game-winning score with a half a minute to go? What did you make of that? Yeah, well, you know, Murph, I was talking to you about this, but uh, there are three teams that I root for. The Cardinals, number one, of course, had my best years there. I was a team captain there. I've been involved in the organization for decades. Um, after that, of course, it's still the Bills and the Steelers. And I say the Steelers because of my older brother, who is the analyst, of course, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the fact that he played there for a decade. So those two teams I still root for. So I love the fact that, once again, my Bills, and I still call them my Bills. <laughs> Who doesn't? Once a Buffalo boy, always a Buffalo boy. My Bills, I love the fact 
that we've got a quarterback that we can build around for years to come as well. Josh Allen, I cannot tell you, I watched tape on Josh Allen. So unbelievably impressed with this kid. Uh, you want to talk about a dual threat, a new wave quarterback, a kid that can pull the ball down and make plays with his legs. Um, and yet he's got a bazooka for an arm and apparently he's got a lot of Jim Kelly uh, traits. Now you tell me, Murph, this is what I hear via reputation and the grapevine. I hear he's got a lot of Jim Kelly in him. What do you say when I say that to you? Um, I, I, I'm reluctant to compare anyone to a hall of famer, but (laughs) seriously, uh, but the one thing about the Josh that I really appreciate is how hard he works at it in the off season. Yeah, one, one of the things about Jim Kelly um, that I was told, of course, and I feel like I know this because I do know Jim, uh, he was one of the guys and yeah. really fit in really well with his teammates. And I, I think that's an area where Kyler Murray has got to grow as well. He's got to grow a little bit in that regard to actually um, fitting in with his teammates and being a franchise quarterback off the field. You know, listen, there's a lot that goes into being a franchise quarterback, Murph, as you know. It's not just on the field and what you do on the field. It's also the leadership that you have off the field. And it's one of the things that I was told Josh Kelly is, is our Josh Allen is also very, very good at. Yeah. I think that's true. Hey, I have one more question, your observation on the Bills from yesterday's game and even your week of preparing for that game. Um, based on the way the Cardinals ran the ball and, and stopped the Bills running the ball yesterday, and it's been a – you know, the Bills have had a good 10 games. They're 7-3, and three, but it strikes me today, and I talked about it earlier in this podcast, I think 10 games in, this Bills team, I think, lacks like an element of physicality. I don't know if they, they dominate enough on either line of scrimmage, offense or defense. Did you see that at all in your – preps for the game or did you see it yesterday what do you think yeah I I did as a matter of fact I I, I thought that the the bills uh I don't want to call them soft because right. that's not I'm reluctant right. to they do that play hard. yeah yeah they play hard I don't want to call them soft but they're not effective uh in terms of stopping the run and in regard to running the ball themselves I, I thought maybe they would try to run the ball even more I would say in the second half I thought that we'd see a lot more of the Bills trying to establish that rushing attack and control the line of scrimmage. Because it's amazing to me, even if, even if you're running the ball differently in the year 2020 of our Lord, right? Even if you're running <laughs> the ball differently, it's still, it amazes me that the game is still the game, even though you're doing it differently even though you're not getting in the eye as much as uh, of the time with a fullback and running isos and power and blunts on the weak side. And even though you're doing it differently, there's still something to be said about being able to line up and run the ball and stop the run as well. And I was a little surprised to see the Bills maybe not as physical on both sides of the ball but, you know, hey, the NFL is morphing in front of our very eyes. Right. Hey, um, Ron, uh, you've been doing Cardinals radio for, what, 10, 15 years now with Dave Pesh? Actually, I think this is year 16 with 16. Dave Pesh. Yeah, I wonder, <laughs> yesterday's game, as good as it was, you probably have had this experience, too. The road games just aren't as much fun. And, and I'm not crazy about all that travel or anything, whatever. I can 
you know, I've had enough trips to Foxborough in my life and enough trips to, uh, you know, to, to South Florida, but I'd really miss the vibe, the atmosphere in the stadium. It's no fun calling a road game. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah. You're not traveling though, right, Murph? That's you're right. Not actually... Yeah. Not, okay. are you, you're not traveling, are you? No, no, yeah. not traveling. And I miss that. I miss the atmosphere. I miss the vibe in those uh, away stadiums. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, uh, even though you got the all 22, right? You got the all 22 up there and you've got the TV feed as well on two big monitors. It's not the same. There's no doubt about that. It's interesting to me, Murph, and I'd love to get your, your feedback on this, but I don't know if you've seen the stat where for the first time since 1970, home teams are below 500, the yeah. record. Yeah. So what do you think that is? I, I'd love to get your take on that because you would think, okay, you're at home, you're sleeping in your own bed, of course, you've got your family there. And why do you think visiting teams where you've got to generate all this energy, generate your own energy to go out on the field and, and play a football game on the road why do you think they're doing better than home teams? Yeah, I thought about that. You know what? Two things. Number one, I mean, the home fans make a little bit of a difference. Not much, but a little bit of a difference. But you know where they really make a difference? This is number two. I think home fans can influence the officiating. The officials don't want to be have booze rain down on them, so the calls might be a little more even than they would if there were a, a legitimate home team with home fans in the stands. What do you think of that? Hey, this is the reason why I need to talk to you more. <laughs> I never even thought about that, Murph. I never even thought of that. I just, I'm looking at it solely from a player's perspective. That is my problem too, by the way. Here I am, I am fat in 58. And all I do is think of myself as I was 24 with 8% body fat once again. I, this is my problem. I never think of as a fan or, or maybe I should think a little bit more as an analyst as opposed to a player and what a player thinks and how a player thinks. But that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, you played 10 years in the NFL, seven with the Cardinals. And, and I read you had the distinction of playing in St. Louis for both the Rams at one point in your career and the Cardinals. You're the only one to do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's my claim to fame right there. If you're ever on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And they ask you that question, right? Who's the only player to play for both St. Louis franchises in the NFL? Ron Wolfley. Final answer, I might say, right there. Yeah, it's that. You know, I listen, I still sometimes on a early Saturday morning when I wake up early in the morning and my eye cracks open, Murph, I, I sometimes it dawns on me that I played 10 years in the NFL and I think, how did that happen? I shouldn't have been there 10 days. Thank you, Lord God, for what you have given me. I mean, 10, I, I should have been cut after 10 days. And, and yet somehow uh, God turned that into 10 years for me. 10 years, four Pro Bowls as a special teamer. You told me a story once, an amazing story. You had a theory this goes back a little a little ways, but you had a theory that every American businessman overstressed, overworked, uh, worried about his life and what he's doing. Every American businessman should have a chance to run downfield and cover a kick, a kick in the NFL. Tell me that. Why, why, why do you believe that? First of all, as we all know right now, what a stress release. It is such a release of stress, right? I mean, honestly, how in the world can we line somebody up 
and stick a mouth guard in him. We'll bring out some guy with a weird last name who's got a funny face mask. He'll kick the ball off, and we'll just run down the field like banshees, full speed, and bury our faces into a man the size of Saturn's third moon and and let the nasal passages just clear out. Um, Man, if you could do that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to remove a lot of stress from your life. And if you're a businessman, go out there and hire people, line them up in your backyard, and go have at it. <laughs> I love that. Hey, one of my, a couple of years ago, you, uh, you were owner of a restaurant, though, Wolfley's, uh, what was it called? Wolfley's Grill, Neighborhood, the, Neighborhood Grill. And we, right. we, went, we had dinner with you there one night. And you know what I loved about that place? You had all kinds of buffalo items on the menu. You said they were your mother's recipes, most of them, right? Yeah, absolutely right. We had uh, Hoopy's goulash, as a matter <laughs> of fact, right? I mean, you know how big goulash is up in Buff, of course. And then we had the buffalo wings. We had all sorts of buffalo dishes up there. It did very well. Uh, for the most part, four and a half years. And suddenly, I, I just got tired of... Um, there was a lot of work that was involved in that. Right? And so we sold it to a guy named Dan Marley. Do you know who Dan Marley is? The sure, with the Phoenix Suns, yeah. That's exactly right. Former son. We sold it, and Marley's actually bought it. They're still up there doing well right now. Let the professionals handle that. <laughs> hey, I should mention that you're a member of the West Virginia Football Hall or Sports Hall of Fame. Also a member of the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame with your brother, your brother Craig. Um, that probably means something to you, being a Buffalo native, being in the Hall of Fame here, right, from your career Can't at Frontier and North Park High School? Murph, you can't even imagine. Um, you know, you can't take the Buffalo out of the boy. You're never going to be able to do that. Um, I I go back, Lord willing, every year. I wasn't able to do it this year, of course. All my family is still back there. Um, You know, we call it Hoopy Palooza. My mom's nickname is Hoopy. It rhymes with Loopy. That's what I'll tell you right now. But she is revered in our family. And we, we have Hoopy Palooza is what we call it, where we all go back. And it's actually out in Rushford, New York. She owns a cattle ranch, not not a cattle ranch. She owns a, a farmhouse that my sister actually has cattle on that my sister bought from my mom and runs cattle on it. We all go back there for, you know, three weeks in the summer in Rushford, New York and hang out back there. Um, it is, it's my reset button. It's, it's coming home, seeing my family, and pushing that reset button is, a, is akin to p- pushing a reset, a refresh button for me. So, you know, I, I look forward to it every year. We didn't do it this year, and we miss that badly. Well, it's great catching up with you. I wish I would have had a chance to get to Arizona this week, but when you get this way, give me a call, please. Let's get together sometime. I will, Murph. I'll do that. Thanks, Ron. Okay, bud. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Joining us now, a man from Savannah, Georgia. He is a member of the Savannah Brewers League. He is a buyer for a beverage wholesaler in Savannah. He is a beer fan. We're with Vince Becker of Savannah, Georgia. Vince, thanks very much for coming on the podcast with us here today. Oh, great to be here. Tell me about the Savannah Brewers League, your brewing club. What's that all? It's home brewers, right? It's a homebrew club, uh, 27 odd years old, uh, started in the 90s in Savannah. It is 
folks that enjoy home brewing. We've also we we have mead makers, cider makers, and uh, we also some of our little fun. We have a amateur limoncello uh, competition that we do annually. And you meet once a month, is that right? Yeah, we meet once a month. Uh, organized meeting that uh, our first Wednesday of the month we meet in the in the uh, at Moon River with COVID. We've been on their uh, beer deck last couple of months when everyone kind of got better about being together. But um, we used to be in, in the basement of Moon River, and again, two two and a half hour meeting, something like that. Usually, folks get there early and might order some dinner, and then uh, and then we'll sit and chat, going through club business, uh, maybe a technical talk on some aspect of brewing or, or um, need making, and then um, answering questions from folks, you know, it's what, are, what are people doing? What are people brewing? Uh, people have any technical questions that somebody else in the, in the, in the membership might be able to, to help them or give, give them a hand with or troubleshoot something for them. And tell, there's a concept of, what do you call it? Uh, Smatish? Stamptisch? Stamptisch. Stamptisch. German word that uh, references the regulars table. Uh, if you'll go into any uh, um, uh, pub, whatever, in, in Germany, quite often you'll see a table that has uh, some something designating the regulars table, the Stamptisch, and uh, sometimes it's like a candle holder thing that's got, you know, a little gilded sign on it or whatever. That's basically the regulars table. That's where, you know, if you think Norm and, and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, those guys from Cheers, they would have, he had his corner on the bar, but uh, that's kind of the regulars corner for him. Um, and we, we add that to our meetings because, or to our organization, because um, liquor laws don't like having untaxed alcohol in a, uh, in a licensed place. So in order to keep our hosts from getting into trouble, we set up these stuntish and it's a, it's a meeting that happens um, another time during the month, usually, you know, a couple of weeks later to spread it out. And we'll go to somebody, one of the members houses and um, maybe a brew day. It may just be a, um, a evening party get together, whatever it might be uh, where we can share homebrew samples and, and, and that kind of thing and, and, and talk. Sometimes we will, do a club only competition that, that, uh, that'll happen at that, at that, uh, event. The most recent one. Yeah, go ahead. I said the most recent one we had was at, uh, um, out of the member's house and we held what we called the O dark 30 competition, which, uh, it was four beers that were darker than 30 SRM. So porters and on down the road. Um, was fortunate. I brewed a beer with a friend down the down the road. There, we got together and and put together. Uh, I think I think it was called F Putin, Go Rasputin, and that was our Russian Imperial. And it uh, it, it took the took the first place in that. And uh, one of our brewers in town is going to put that on and uh, and do that as a uh, uh, you know kind of a spotlight beer. It's what do you think the attraction is for home brewers to do? People go into it thinking they're going to find the, the next, you know, Budweiser, make millions and millions of dollars, or what's the attraction for, for home brewers? I think uh, I think there's a bunch of things. A, it's a hobby uh, that has benefits. Most of the time, if you go golfing and fishing, you got to buy beer. If you're yeah. a home brewer, uh, when you're done, you have beer, <laughs> and uh, yeah. you got to get out ahead of it, certainly. But um, 
there's a creative aspect to it. Uh, same way if, you know, if a chef makes a, a, a beautiful meal or, or, or something like that, or an artist paints a painting that, that moves people, sometimes, uh, let's be honest about it, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of alcohol that's moved a lot of, um, a lot of creativity and, 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 and moved a lot of uh, thought uh, and everything else. When you do something like that, just being able to, to go and, and put some grain together with some hops and, and, uh, and water and then give it the blessing of the God is good, you know, the, uh, the Easties. And, uh, and you can come up with something two weeks later that, that tastes magical. That's, that's great. Strikes me, Vince, there might be a lot of trial and error when it comes to home brewing. You try something, you like it, you don't like it, and you, maybe you try something else. Is that fair to say? Certainly, certainly, yeah. Um, I think the most important thing when you're, when you're brewing, and most people will attest to this, the grain wants to be beer. It's got a higher calling. But uh, a lot of times where people have problems is, is the sanitation things, and uh, that's where they, they – you don't don't have to be sterile, but you do have to be proper and make sure that you uh, that you're clean. When you're clean, you don't get the bacteria that cause problems and and give you that spoiled nasty beer. Um, and and the you know there's a whole ton of resources and and even more now with the internet and everything else, there are podcasts and and that 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 talk about beer. So you can you can avoid a a lot of the the pitfalls, you know and and. Uh, uh, work from the shoulders of your, uh, of your forebears, but, um, you can, you can come up with some, some great stuff. And, and in terms of beer, there are so many styles. I think working at the, at, uh, Haversham beverage, I get people that, well, I don't understand beer or I don't like beer. And, and then you ask them what kind of beer, well, Budweiser, I don't like that. Well, that's one style of, of literally a hundred plus different beer styles. And, and we're finding historical styles now and, and that um, I say you just haven't tried enough beer if you if there's not a beer that you like, um, especially nowadays, they've got beers that uh, taste like um, a lot of crazy fruited soda yeah. pops. Yeah, that's right. We're with Vince Becker from the Savannah, Georgia Brewers League. Sullivan's uh, Ale, Sullivan's Brewing Company has been imported to uh, Savannah, Georgia for a little while now. Tell me how it's been received and how you were first introduced to Sullivan's, our sponsors on the podcast, if you witness. Sullivan's, it, uh, right before COVID, we were, I want to say it was, um, it was this March. Uh, the fellows were in town. I saw something come through from our, our distributor. Savannah Distributing is, is who brings uh, Sullivan's into, into Georgia. I saw something, a new brewery launched. The principals were going to be there. The head brewer was going to be there. So um, it actually was the, the day, uh, it was the Wednesday, first Wednesday of the month. So that coincided with our uh, homebrew club meeting. So I went downtown early and, and uh, went by O'Connell's pub where they were kind of holding court and introduced myself and, and that and had a couple of pints. And then um, I tossed the line out there and, and said, hey, if you guys wrap up early or whatever, you've got a minute, we'd love for you to come by the Moon River and say, hey, get a drink there and, and, uh, and uh, talk a little bit uh, about the brewery and stuff. Ian, um, I want to say Ian Hamilton. Ian Hamilton, Ian, yes. Yeah, Ian is uh, is their brewer, and that was kind of uh, really serendipity to to find a rock star who's got a, a pedigree and who's, who's brewed um, around the world. It was awesome. Those guys came by the came by the meeting. They talked. We had pints. Anyway, saw them several more times through uh, through that week, and then the COVID came. But uh, 
But regardless of that, we still we still um, move a decent amount of supplements through the uh, um, through the store. Uh, actually, it was kind of weird because I got a, a a text a text or an email from Michael asking about doing this podcast, and it literally was maybe thirty minutes later. I had somebody was asking about uh, getting two kegs of the uh, uh, Black Marvel uh, Sullivan's. Sure. Yeah. Uh, two kegs coming in. Uh, it's, okay, where's the camera? So, this is going to be a setup. <laughs> it was really weird because an, an hour or two later, somebody else called about asking about kegs. And I said, what's going on? <laughs> Catching <laughs> it up. Turned out, it turned out the husband was calling to find the kegs. And then the wife was calling because she was going to surprise the husband, but he'd already, he already, uh, <laughs> uh, already made the order. But uh, no, Sullivan's lovely. And it, what's really cool about Sullivan's in, in my mind is the, the history that they have uh, in the brewery where they're, where, where they're doing stuff. And it's beer flavored beer. Uh, I, I kind of really like beer flavored beer. Uh, there's so much stuff now that, that's out there. So many of the fruited sours and the, and the hazy IPAs and the uh, pastry stouts uh, to go in and get a, to get the, uh, the golden or to get Sully's red. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, you know, we had uh, Ian Hamilton on this podcast a week or so or a month or so ago, and, and he's so unassuming and so uh, he's well-spoken. He's very intelligent. You refer to him as a as a brewing rock star. What makes him a rock star? Well, I think uh, it's when you hear people and they talk about how do they get into home brewing within within that story, usually within the first two or three batches, they'll tell how they brewed their Guinness clone and. Ian Hamilton, brewed Guinness. I think brewed Guinness in Africa. Uh, I, I, haven't, I don't remember the exact pedigree, but he had brewed at these breweries that are like Valhalla's or, yeah. or whatever it might be that you can talk to this guy and, you know, he's not, you know, brushing you off and, and uh, this kind of stuff. He, you want to talk about beer? I'd love to talk about beer. You want to talk about what I used to do it there? Yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah. He was... Uh, Again, just so open and uh, again, like I say, rock star. There's not a soul that knows that, that that doesn't know Guinness, right? You can say that, and this guy can actually say he was brewing at Guinness and then was taking Guinness to the subcontinent. That's uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Hey, Vince, uh, Vince uh, Becker of the uh, of Savannah, Georgia, the Savannah Brewers League. You are also, we should mention, a Cicerone. Uh, explain to us what that means. I don't know if all of our audience knows that. It's like being a sommelier, right, of wine, right? The, the Cicerone program was started, I want to say, in the noughties, uh, 2008 maybe. I'm not positive. Ray Daniels wanted to come up with some way to kind of quantify beer knowledge the way that we have sommelier. And um, Cicerone oftentimes refers to um, the you know, a guide, um, like a docent or something like that in a museum. Often you'll hear Cicerone. It was Cicero, you know, whatever, um, historical, but more so it's, it's basically to, a way to qualify and, and to qualify, if you will, beer knowledge. There are currently four levels in the Cicerone program. The first one is a, a certified server. That's some basic beer knowledge. You can go online, download the syllabus and the, and the and the references and, and the information. And it covers aspects from beer styles, uh, beer quality, beer serving quality, serving 
stuff like clean glassware and and proper um, draft system maintenance and, and things like that. Easy stuff that that your folks that run a, that are running a good pub, uh, running a restaurant and serving beer. It's very helpful for them to know to kind of be able to guide their customers a little bit further along, you know, and, and pass on some good knowledge. The next level is certified Cicerone, and, and that's uh, that's what I'm at. Um, it involves four to six hour test a day. There's a written component, and then you have a tasting component, and then a uh, and like an oral um, recorded video component, essays, if you will. Um, uh, again, covering beer styles, history, um, glassware, draft system maintenance, serving, all kinds of things like that. Then you go to, well, originally I think it, it, it was set up where you had the certified server, certified, and then master Cicerone. They've added, in the meantime, they've added an advanced um, Cicerone. So there was a, there was a break from Basically, if you, if you thought of uh, the certified Cicerone as a uh, as a bachelor's degree, the master's was uh, the, uh, the the master Cicerone was like a doctorate. Um, so they wanted to put in there that master's level, that uh, if you will, the the advanced Cicerone. Sure. Um, just to kind of break it up, but uh, in terms of number of bodies, the master Cicerone is. I think they still have them. You can count them on your digits. Um, how many are are I think you have to include toes now, but uh, that are at that master Cicerone level. Hmm. Uh, you are a brewer, a home brewer. What do you like to brew at home? What do you like to drink? I uh, I like brewing big stouts. Um, like I said, uh, my friend Scott and I, we had, uh, we had a nice bit of luck with that one. Um, I make meads as well. In terms of brewing a beer, I like a Munich Helles, uh, nice malt steady easy drinking uh, easy drinking beer um made plenty of irish uh irish red did my guinness clones within my first i think it was my second batch was a guinness clone um i like i, I like simple beers i like uh, beers that i can get into um i have a larger brew system i actually won a um a 20 gallon brew system that, that belonged to white labs Home brewers out there, they'll recognize that name. Um, I won it at an, at a the National Homebrew Convention um, years ago. With 20 gallons, I can have people come over and they can take home, you know, two or three people can take home a, a batch after we brewed together and to make things a little bit more manageable. But uh, at times I'll brew my 20 gallons and then I can split that up and and, and do fermentation with different yeasts to uh, that little experiment and, and play and see what what does the uh, what is a, an English ale yeast versus an American ale versus um, maybe a wine yeast to just shake things up? And the last thing, man, tell me about your your role, your job, really at Habersham Beverage uh, uh, Warehouse. What do you do there, and how does all this knowledge figure into your job there at Habersham? So I work at Habersham Beverage Warehouse. We are a beer, wine, and spirit store. Um, we're uh, an off-premise retailer. So we sell to two customers. Um, I, uh, Georgia is a, is a straight three tier system. So we buy from the distributor and, and then sell that. Uh, I was hired to be the uh, beer lead beer buyer for Haversham beverage coming on six years ago now. And um, 
my knowledge of brewing, my knowledge of beer. In, uh, in another life, I did a lot of traveling around the world for um, photography. So I was all over the States and um, was all over the States able to do stuff um, all over Europe, uh, taking pictures. So had a lot of knowledge of different beers um, firsthand from either being in a pub and drinking, you know, in the, in the town where it was brewed or, or in some cases doing the brewery tours. Um, since I started there, I, in addition to Cicerone, I've uh, done the certified specialist of wine and certified specialist of spirits to broaden my knowledge of, of the beverage world. Um, a lot of my job is, is interacting with customers and helping them uh, give them a, a recommendation for beers or giving them, you know, uh, um, spirit advice or, or whatever it is. Um, we can, we do special orders and sometimes that's hunting around um, uh, websites or kicking around and find out who's the, who's the, the um, overall, who's the owner of that, of that um, distillery or whatever to find out who else might have those available. Um, addition, like I said, buying the stuff, making inventory, the whole nine yards and, and then managing. So some of that's opening and locking the doors at night. Um, it's a good time. Yeah. And so all of your, your background, uh, you know, as a Cicerone, as a, as an employee, a, a supervisor really at Habersham as a, as a home brewer, just the last thing in general, where do you think, Where's brewing? Where's the brewing industry going? Not necessarily home brewers, but you see, as you mentioned, some of the flavors that are out there—the fruit-infused flavors and pastry-infused flavors. Uh, have we have we maxed out the the places that brewing can go from an industrial uh, set, uh, standpoint? What do you think? Well, I I, I think we'd be uh, ignoring the elephant in the room right now. That that is the uh, seltzer craze. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're right. everyone's looking for a, everyone's looking for a magic pill to uh to lose uh lose a pound or two or whatever the low carb and 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 everything else um seltzers are it's in the it's in the industry news every day about uh, the market share that seltzers are are doing you have um the ones that are you know traditionally brewed really they're fermented uh, a lot of times fermented uh dextrose or, or corn sugar or something like that versus you know, brewed as a, as a beer and then, and then thinned out. Um, I don't know. I, in terms of the innovation, I don't think you could have seen a seltzer on the, uh, uh, on the horizon four years ago, really. There might've been a, a one, somebody dipping the toe in the ocean and, and now you have PAPS, PBR has got these and, and uh, a good many of your, of your craft, um, you know, microbreweries are, are dabbling in the seltzers and putting things out. Um, I don't know. I don't, you know, the, some of the traditional styles are traditional styles, you know, an Irish red or a, or a, or a dry Irish stout. Um, they're traditional for a reason. They've got staying power because they're, they're solid. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I like to have a beer and uh, the, the sours are fun. I, I have been all over Belgium and 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 been through uh, Cantillon. Every time I get close to there, I go to Cantillon. Uh, I've been to uh, Lambic Drum, the, um, the Boons, Dreifontainen, um, the traditional sours. I like sours. I made kettle sours uh, early on when I was in uh, starting to homebrew. Um, 
it was a bucket sour. <laughs> we you know, you had your brew bucket and then you would pitch some uh, lactobacillus in there. Back in the day, we just put some uh, some cracked barley in there because the lactobacillus is all over the place. But that was our that was our take on the on the kettle sours. Um, the goza that that started out uh, maybe ten years ago. That was homebrewers, I think, that really brought that. And people say, well, that's pretty good. And then, and then you have folks like, uh, um, oh, what are they? Um, Anderson Valley's doing, everybody's doing a, a goes now, a goza. Um, I think there's still room for, there's still room for innovation and in that. Um, people are having fun with mixed fermentations and that. But I think you're still going to have, uh, you're still going to have the traditional beers because they, they they managed to stick around for 400 years. I think they'll yeah. they'll do for a couple more. Plus, we're doing something right. Hey, Vince, thanks for this. We really appreciate you spending time with us. We could talk forever. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be uh, to be asked to be on the uh, on the program. Vince Becker of Savannah, Georgia, the Savannah Brewers League and Habersham uh, Beverage uh, Warehouse in Savannah, Georgia. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed talking to Vince Becker a moment ago. Vince Becker of Savannah, Georgia. Home brewer. He's a beer expert at Habersham Beverage Warehouse in Savannah. He is a certified Cicerone, meaning he is an expert on beer. A lot of good ideas from Vince on all of those topics, and we really enjoyed talking with him. And, of course, Ron Wolfley from the Arizona Cardinals broadcast team. He's an entertainer, no question about that. Western New York native, Orchard Park native, played in the NFL, owned Wolfley's Neighborhood Grill in suburban Phoenix for a while. I was there a while ago. Great guy to talk to, and we thank you for coming on with us. We are sponsored by Sullivan's Brewing Company of Kilkenny, Ireland. You know the products by now. Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Brewed in Ireland, imported to the U.S., available in Buffalo and throughout upstate New York, in New York City, in Long Island, in New Jersey, Cleveland, Columbus, Ohio, Pittsburgh, and, of course, in Savannah, Georgia, and getting bigger all the time. Uh, Sullivan's Brewing Company. Bye week coming up for the Bills, but we're going to be back next week to talk about the Bills and the beer. I want to thank our producer, Pat Felbaugh. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the beer.